He's Achille Nazuri. I'm Reggie Bailey. This is Books of Pop Culture. Achille, how you feeling? You know, uh, blessed and highly favored. Uh, it's another wonderful day above the ground. Um, you know, the locks are locking as always. Uh, both BGs are out, uh, Brittany Griner and uh, BG, the original BG. Uh, and so things are going really good. Um, you know, how about yourself? I can't complain, man. You know, another day just trying to make sure I'm being active, man. As long as I'm yeah. active, I'm good, man. Yes, you yes. Know? Putting up putting up shots every day. Like I'm like I'm in the gym, like I'm Shucky, man. Like I'm Shucky Curry, you heard? Got to, man. That's how we own it. Hey man. <laughs> Thank you to the fellowship. First and last time, viewers, first and last time, listeners, and everyone in between, because you could be anywhere in the world right now. But you're here with us, and we do not take that lightly. So thank you. We really appreciate you there are a lot of places where you can locate books of pop culture such as youtube spotify stitcher apple Podcasts, google Podcasts. you name the place we're probably there and on those places you can do things that we really like you can subscribe to us you can download the episodes you can leave reviews on the podcast you can leave a like you can comment you can do all types of stuff right and and, and we all we want it all right and, and we could use it all and another thing you could do that might be even more important than all of those is share. You can share with your friends, your enemies, your frenemies, those who you are thinking of placing one of the myriad labels you can place on someone, right? And your digital communities. You can always share digitally, send it to a friend through a text message, through a DM. You could put it on your feed. It doesn't matter. We like all the sharing because sharing is caring, as they say. And you may have noticed that the first community I shouted out is The Fellowship. And that's because The Fellowship is our amazing Patreon community. It's one that Achille and I, you know what, Achille, I'm going to switch it up today, man. Because literature uh -oh. is about biases. Uh -oh. It's about preferences. It's about taste. It's one that mm -hmm. you and I biasly agree mm -hmm. is the best in bookish communities. Yes, so, yes. yeah, we biasly believe that The Fellowship is the best in bookish communities. And you can, by joining the fellowship, get access to myriad things. You can get access to our Discord, where we discuss a whole lot of books and a little bit of pop culture. You can access bonus books, pop culture episodes, where we discuss a little bit of books and a whole lot of pop culture. And you get us one step closer to doing books of pop culture for a living. And you can do that by going to patreon.com slash books of pop culture. Killy. We have a special guest in a guaranteed interesting conversation today, man. Absolutely. Our guest writing has helped foster complex discourse around intra-community sexual violence, abuse within the hip-hop community, and the complicated relationship between Black women and hip-hop. Accordingly, she was featured in the HBO Max documentary On the Record as an expert to provide commentary on the intersection of sexism and racism in America. Her work has been published in the New York Times, the Huffington Post, The Guardian, Pitchfork, Essence, and myriad other publications. Our guest today is Shanita Hubbard, and we will be talking to her about Ride or Die after this quick break. So, Shanita, of course, thank you again for taking the time to be here. And I typically like to break the ice as the first thing when we have guests. And this this ice breaking is a little little fun. Um, so, I'm as amidst my research, 
like because you know you gotta you gotta go to google or youtube or whatever <laughs> you know where the research takes you you know i'm 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 in the front i'm i'm, I'm in my living room and i'm watching you on the Tamron Hall show. And you know, you doing like how Shanita does. You talking that shit. You saying what everybody need to hear, right? Mm-hmm. Including including me, right? So, you know, my my lovely, my amazing, my intelligent, my funny girlfriend. Amen. She comes in, right? And she, you know, she, she's standing over there by the counter. I think she was grabbing a drink or something. And she hearing you talk your talk. She taking in the word like how I am. And she like, mm-hmm. She... She, you know, she just having her moment. She, she mm-hmm. over there catching something, something akin to the Holy Ghost. Period. And I'm looking, period. and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, you know, she, she is talking that talk, but you, you feeling mm-hmm. a little too hard over there. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I don't know about all that. Yeah, I yeah. mean, she, she, she cool and all, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I ain't gonna lie, you kind of, kind of brought out the hater in me just a little bit, but, <laughs> but, but it, it was for a good cause though, and it's all in jest. Of course, I couldn't hate on you. I couldn't hate you on you. Really, what it is is a way for me to shout you out because I think, you know, first off, how you just like approached us in general, right? Just like, like a hustler, right? Like, mm-hmm. like I think. You know, this is kind of a touchy topic in authordom, but I, I do think authors need to like move their books like albums in, in ways. I think it's necessary. That's maybe a topic later on. Um, but I just I just appreciate the way you went about like and not even with just us, just I, I've seen like some of the pods you've done since yeah. your book came out and um, just shouts to you for just the way you're going about, like making sure people get the message. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yes. And just um, for those who are listening, like how this even came about is I slid in Reggie's DMs like at like 10 o'clock at night, like a mixtape rapper, like check out my demo. Like, what's up? Like if his wonderful, amazing girlfriend is listening, I promise you, it was a very, very rated G conversation. I was just out here hustling. And he was just like, damn, he was like, dang, I respect. He said something about um, oh yeah, team. And we just started like having casual conversation. And he was like, you know, my book is what um Hachette. And he was like, Oh, I shout out to you. I see your team doing big things. You got, you know, they got Gabrielle Union to write the cover blurb. And um, you know, mm-hmm. and Tamron booked you on Tamron Hall. And I was like, yo, shout out to my team. They definitely have great skills. And you know, my editorial team is the ball. But let me just be clear, Shanita is out there, you know. That was yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> I, was him, I was like, yo, who's in your DMs right now? At 10 o'clock at night like a mixtape rapper this is yeah. <laughs> now i had to be like you know what i'm saying like reasonable like reasonable jout jay-z and um <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. at the same yeah, time yeah. <laughs> I had to like the go out there and hustle and like really promote it i anticipate having to do that but i'm like oh i oh i i i know that you know what i'm saying like i had to be this person it's cool yeah, though yeah, yeah. Dame said something recently that was so interesting. This is just random, but he was talking to this group of folks who were like pushing something inside of a college and he was telling them, um, he said to manifest is the time travel. He said, Mm -hmm. if you, if you put this down, you wrote it down and you put it in the past, what you're doing is projecting future memories on your future self. Uh, And so he was like, you got to be careful with what you're manifesting and what you visualize because that's time travel and you are affecting your future self. And I was like, look at old Dame, you know, when he stopped, when he not yelling, you know what I'm saying? He be all right. (laughs) No, I always say with Dame, 
Mm-hmm. I, the 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 unfortunate truth with him is people just don't want to get screamed at, and and if they realize like what he was saying versus how he's saying it, I think he could be he could have a much bigger he could be like like ET or something. You know what I'm saying? Like like with all the stuff he'd be trying to say, but it's yeah, just like like in terms just... of like motivating people to go get it and stuff like that. But it's just yeah. he it's just people don't want to be talked that they want to be talked to. I mean, and um, you're not wrong, but in addition to that, like we sometimes we can't hear Dame because of Dame, right? So Dame was going, he was saying a lot. I don't know if this is rated PG or whatever, but oh, we good. Dame was talking a lot of shit, right? So then I remember, like, in one of Ho's line when he said, you know, so you talking about you made hoes, well, go make another one. Go right? make another hoe, yeah. He hasn't been able to make another one. Not only has he hasn't been able to make another one, he hasn't been able to replicate it for himself. So mm-hmm. it makes people revisit the Jay-Z and Dame divorce and really kind of yeah. take sides and figure out, you know, who was kind of quote unquote wrong. And then you subconsciously discredit the other one. So Dame yeah. discredited because of Dame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, I agree. I saw no lives there, and that is one of my favorite uh Hove lines. Hove's a mm-hmm. living legend, and I tell you why. Everybody wanna be Hove, and Hove's still alive. <laughs> Dang, that's real. It's a Jay-Z line for everything, you know. <laughs> you know, somebody I I love this because um, yeah, we're already talking. Somebody said to me, um, a guy I was dating a while ago, he had said he's a super huge Biggie fan. And we would always argue mm. about, you know, the greatest of all time. And I'm always going to be like, come on, bro. Two albums, you can't. Right? So um, possibly could have been. But somebody robbed us of knowing that. So that's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Well, fantastic storyteller, all of that. So mm-hmm. look at Reggie's face. He wanted to, he wanted to I can't give it. I, I'm, I'm with no, you, Shanita. I got something for y'all when she's done. I got something for y'all. You can put him <laughs> in top I will I will allow for that. When you can't give him number one with two albums, I we think, just can't. I'm not, I, I, I threw Sula in the trash. I'm not gonna go too far today. Huh? I, I threw Sula in the trash. I'm not gonna go too far today. I didn't really mean Sula was trash, but I've already stepped on enough toes. So Reggie, go yeah. ahead. <laughs> no, so I'm gonna finish. I'm gonna finish. Oh, right, right, right. oh my bad. So he's like a um a huge ass Biggie fan. So what he said was and quote unquote compliments around my book. He was like, yo, he said, I think you wrote your um oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank. He was like, I'm really That's ready to die or no, no, no. He said, I think you wrote your, um, your, it was written. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is such like a wonderful, classic, fantastic book. And I'm like, oh, high honors, high honors. Yes, yes, nah, yes. That is, the, the thing about your book is, you know, yes, it is, it is for black women, it's two black women. That is undeniable. But the thing that I'm realizing about books like this are like, they're, they're also, they they end up becoming for black men too because they're so relatable. Like yeah. even even though it ain't, I know you weren't talking to me per se, right? But the same token, I think of your book. I think of another book like the Secret Lives of Church Ladies, and it's like that's definitely a book for black women. But the same token, as a black man reading it, like you're you're still seen in there, like yeah. like good, bad, in between, right? Yeah. So I just think it's. I hope like men who listen to this don't think. Okay, yo, she said her book for black women. I shouldn't read it. No, no. Like that's that's actually never the case. I think that's I'm learning while reading books like that that that's even more of a reason for men to read it. 
I was just going to say, I always think of it like I'm cheating, right? Like, it's like I'm getting this inside access to better understand the one thing that I want to understand the most, which is no. Black women. And so no. when I read a book like this, uh, Red Lip Theology, like you said, The Secret Lives of Church Letters, I'd be like, hell yeah. Can't wait to go back in the room with my wife and make sure I'm right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think of it like that. And so, so I think men would be remiss to even think that. I know they do. That's why, you know, I don't want to toot our own horn, but I think that's why shows like this matter because this book is, is easily accessible for black men. And like I said, they are usually a cheat code for us. Can I speak? <laughs> yo, I'm going to, when, when this is recorded, I'm going to send this link to a guy that um, I'm dating mm -hmm. because what are the th he's reading my book. I don't know if he's finished it yet, but I said mm -hmm. to him one point, I was like, yo, this isn't me being like, you know, trying to promote my work. I said, but you got a cheat code. Like if I was dating a guy who had a whole book out and they put in pieces of themselves and I really wanted to get to know them, I would like devour that book. So hey, I'm giving y'all game if y'all want to know how to date an author. Like she got a book out, read her book. There you go. That's a piece of a conversation right there. It's, you don't have to argue about $200 dates on Twitter. I'm putting mm -hmm. you on right now. Spend Come $30, on now. buy her book, have a Free conversation game. about it. I promise you that's going to get you far. Free game. Like, y'all read a chapter four and you said such and such, baby. You might have bought yourself three dates right there. Okay, I had to say this before we go, okay? Before okay. we get into the thing. Y'all are saying that Biggie can't be the best, like, uh, rapper of all time with two albums, right? Mm -hmm. But I would, I would argue, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm gonna bring this. I'm bring literature into this. Mm -hmm. You see how people talk about Ellison. Ellison got one novel. Mm -hmm. Ellison got they, Invisible Man. They need hey. to stop. <laughs> That's how I, feel. Mm, I don't know. Not, don't not know, saying man. like I'm just saying. I think, I, to Shanita's earlier point, Ellison should be talked about as one of the greatest of all time, but not, not the greatest of all time off of one book. Like, nah. So okay, so I'm gonna say this: If your one book is big no, like that, no, no, nah, come on, man. I'm straight like, on because my thing is, my thing is, you write, you write damn near 600 pages of excellence. Mm -hmm. That that should of perfection. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't that take you far, like in the in the grand scheme of things? Like you still did the work. It's okay. one, it's one body it gets of work you in the conversation. But, but my it thing is, some people. But what's the difference if someone writes like? Four books that are like 150 pages. Because I need to know one because book that's as long as their catalog. That's better. I need to know if you can consistently be brilliant, relatable, and have the range, right? So this conversation Word. leads me to ask other questions, like, what's the criteria for your top five, right? Because okay, I need yep. to see longevity because I need to see that you can still be relevant and spit something Word. nine years later. Like, I need you to have time in this game. Mm -hmm. I need you to see that the reason why Nas is forever in my top five, you may fluctuate, right? Because I get to see, I get to meet Nas from Illmatic and then Nas, who he is, as he's, you know, having a complicated relationship with raising an adult daughter, right? So we get, mm -hmm. I got to grow with him and see these different avenues. We didn't get to experience that with Biggie, right? I was on a, um, was interviewed by somebody, I forgot which podcast it was, and I was incredibly flattered. He says something, something about my book. And then in the same breath, because he like compared it to like a Bell's hook, very complimentary. And I was like, first of all, all hail Queen Bell, RIP. I said, but bro, you can't put me in my one book, like with a Bell hooks. Like you just mm -hmm. can't do it. Like I just don't, it has it. I haven't produced enough greatness over the years for people to even for even for me to even be in that conversation. So when people yeah. just want to throw folks with two albums in the top five, 
I'm like, be easy. Can we say he's a fantastic Ooh, storyteller? One remarkable. One of the, Can we say he's mm -hmm. incredibly talented? Absolutely. Could he have been, have grown to be the, um, you know, greatest of all time? One day, he possibly could have. But somebody stole that from us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just feel whenever somebody says that Biggie is uh, the greatest of all time, I feel like they're saying what they're supposed to say. Um, and that's usually I don't really like go too deep in the conversation unless they give me some other clues that they have a uh, mm -hmm. large enough hip hop catalog for me. Uh, but usually when they just go with that, like biggest greatest of all time, and I'm, I'm like, I because I feel like you could with this is another thing to your point, Reggie. I feel like you can possibly make a case for one of the greatest storytellers of all time more so than one of the greatest MCs of all time with some of those songs that he has. Because then you can kind of do some things like putting them up. I got a story to tell up against so-and-so mm -hmm. song, right? But if you just got that, you know, the two albums, I can't do mm -hmm. it. I can't do it. No, I, I appreciate I the pushback. Not really, <laughs> but uh, yeah. <laughs> that was the first time ever anyone has ever brought up Ralph Ellison in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Hey, man. Well, well, and that was very valid. I respect to you for that. That was valid. Uh, thank you. B books of pop culture, baby. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta compare rap to to. We gotta compare rap and literature a little more often. We gotta do it more oh my than just. Gosh, I love you know, this. Yeah, this with word. with we gotta make sure to bring Ellison and the blues and the old school artists in it sometimes. Mm -hmm. So that's all I'm gonna say. A lot of times I feel like. And this is also a, 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 a shout to your book too, because Donald Goins was mentioned, and I mm -hmm. see him mentioned a lot when Always you know you time. when you compare you know um, hip hop, right? Because they they like to do it with street lit a lot of times, but I think you also got to compare it to just with the lit that's not necessarily street lit or whatever. Like, why can't we compare Jay and Morrison? I'm pretty sure they got mm -hmm. something that they both do, I, and I think they're both the greatest at what they do. So why mm -hmm. can't we find correlation in their work? Well, how many mm -hmm. albums Jay got? Morrison got 11 novels. How many albums Jay got? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You, you know what I mean? They just keep coming, man. They just keep they coming keep over and over. <laughs> now that we've had all this fun, how are you doing genuinely, Shanita? And if you have trapped gas, let us know. If, you know, if it's a little too cold where you are, let us know. How are you doing genuinely? Um, genuinely. Honestly, it feels like, remember in the early days of COVID, let's say like around... April, May, right? March, mm -hmm. April, right? May, whatever. And by this point, with the exception of, you know, those anti-COVID, you know, people say COVID is fake. For the most part, the whole world was like, yo, this is crazy. What's happening? And we were all kind of like trying to stay safely close together, right? So there was a some effort to stay close and emotionally connected to your loved ones while you was in a storm and you was completely aware it was crazy, right? But at least you was kind of experiencing this whole mind shifting shit with the whole world collectively. Yeah. When I'm going through something like in my family, it was kind of, it was really crazy. Like my mom, my grandmother, my aunt got sick at the same time. I didn't allow myself to process what, that, what could that mean? Like, how is this going to turn out? I was just, you know, going back and forth, seeing them both in the different um, hospitals and then their health deteriorated at the same time. So my grandmother died. Then the day after her funeral, like my aunt, and these are, you know, people that are very close to me. Like my, I have a close relationship with my grandmother. My aunt that died is my mom's sister, you know, so somebody yeah. that... If it's from my book, my soulmates that I talk about is their mother. Like she, so it's a house that I was grown up with. So it's like a huge loss in my family back to back. 
it's a catastrophe for us. So we're just like, oh shit, the world is spinning. But for us, it feels like COVID and a pandemic and the world is just crashing, but the whole world is going on. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it feels crazy. It feels weird. So grief is is isolating, but it's also um, comfort making me, you know, it's isolating in that the entire, it's weird to watch the whole world just kind of go on. I'm just like, yeah, I just like came from two funerals and then somebody was there sick and shit. So I don't know what the fuck this is. Mm-hmm. I got that. So right now so you got all this stuff going on. The world is going on. Holidays are happening, Christmas and stuff. So that's, that's challenging for me. Right. And yeah. I was just, I remember, um, I don't know. I'm giving you an honest answer, right? So I remember yeah, that's, that's, yeah. um, at one point I was like, mentally, this is too much. I was really like, I'm going to break. Like, this is crazy to just bury people back to go, like, plan two funerals, you know, back to back like this. Like, yeah. emotionally, I was like, yo, I'm going to break. And then I just had, I'm at the point now, and I'm like, I'm okay with breaking. And I'm determined to pick up the pieces of me. Like, what's, I'm going to use that time to throw away what's no longer working and refine mm. what it is and figure out who this new version of myself is going to be. Define who this new version of myself is going to be. So I'm just uh, leading into that process more and yeah. figuring out what healing looks like for this season. And right now, um, healing also includes being grateful for the small things. Like, this is no coincidence that we're having this interview and this is happening now. This is exactly what I need. Like, I need laughs with people who I can argue and talk shit about, you know, who's the greatest rapper of all time and throwing a little Ralph Ellison in there and mm-hmm. a little um, Jay-Z and Toni Morrison in there, right? And then talk about the work and talk about all of this. Like, I need this right now. This is fulfilling my spirit. So, I... That's where I am right now. Of course, that broke me, but I'm determined to be, you know, a better version of myself, figuring out what that's going to look like and leaning into like the dope ass moments. Like, cause I don't, that's crazy. Like I was literally on my way to, I was at the hospital seeing my aunt and then I was on my way to go visit my grandma when she died. Right. So you just mm-hmm. don't, moments and people happen so quickly. So I'm so determined to like enjoy and not take any of these moments for granted. Like I appreciate y'all, I appreciate your energy. This is dope. Like I need this personally. I mean, professionally, I knew that I would need this obviously since I reached out. I just didn't know I was also gonna need this personally. So thank you. Yeah, love, love, of course. Hey, it's it's an that was a lot. I should've just been like, I'm good. <laughs> but nah, that ain't what we, that's, you know, this is, this, this is this is home, right? Like when folks be like, yo, I don't know if this PG, nah, this is us. Mm-hmm. We here, we finna get in this work, we're gonna have some fun, we're gonna laugh, uh, we're gonna wrap our arms around you and yours as well. So uh love and light to your people uh as well. Word, yeah, word. Definitely sending um continuously sending my best to y'all. Um and and you know, I it's interesting because you know, this next question, um I kind of, I kind of want to ask it differently, but I, I think maybe I can work my way to what I really want to ask you. Um, what is the most important lesson you've learned about the business of writing? Um, you know, throughout your journey of publishing, ride or die. And I guess something that that came to mind while you were speaking, because I keep thinking about like just your work ethic, and and I think particularly about the last chapter, right? And and I want to know, like, throughout everything that you were just saying, right, how how much were you thinking about the business of writing and just the content of your writing? Like, mm. like how were you kind of, like, grappling with that, like, through, I guess, everything you were just uh, 
just talking about. I just made like a wild gumbo of a question there, but mm -hmm. hopefully we can we can make some sense out of it. Yeah, let's make some sense and tell some truth because that's the um I want to be honest with that. All right. So in terms of the business and writing, I'm always thinking about like the business. Okay. That's a large question, right? Because there's a difference between like the business of what it takes to be a freelance journalist and the business of what it takes to be a first time author. Those are two different things. And I was, I jumped in this game, right? And it feels like I learned how to swim in a beach with no lifeguard. I just had to figure the shit out so I was going to die because I didn't know. Like, it's not like I didn't go to J school. I didn't go to journalism school. So there's no traditional route. I was just like, yo, I'm about to be a writer one day. <laughs> like, yeah. um, I mean, I have a, a master's degree and I have a whole career and, and I'm a professor and stuff. But this is the, it was hard, right? Because I remember, and I'm, a, I'm not going to try my best to condense the story. Like, one of the, I learned really quickly to be smart about the business of writing because I remember being incredibly excited when I started writing for Ebony magazine. And I was like, this is dope. What black girl don't want to write for Ebony when she grow up? If she want to be a writer, like we only had two magazines in our house. So that was the dream. Got the contract. That was dope. I did what I was supposed to do. I wrote dope pieces. They published it and they just didn't pay me. And they, they still didn't. And then they didn't pay me. And then they didn't pay me again. And then they didn't pay me again. But, you know, I made the mistake of taking multiple assignments because it's Ebony and Wild happy to be here. Like, I would have done one at a time. Like, let me see how, you know, I got this contract. Let me see how they pay me. So, yeah. So that happened. And I had to end up... Um, going to court with I was in court like for two and a half years so I quickly was like so that was my like role to like journalism like so while I'm out here hustling and getting bylines in the New York Times and all these other places I also had to quickly learn about you know the the business of writing right so you had to learn how to how to protect yourself you know how to make sure that how can I afford a freaking lawyer if somebody don't pay me and if I'm just a writer these are huge corporations well join a writers union for about 12 15 bucks a month that's a tax write-off right so I had to complete so I had to learn all of this and then I started um being intentional about making sure like I give this information all the time, which is why I was like, yo, I don't want black writers to go through this because what happens is we don't, and I'm also prefacing this so that I can answer like the other part of your question. We don't have these open conversations, especially when black businesses are involved because we are culturally, we don't like to put our business in the street, right? So what happens is, and, if, and writing is not like being a teacher. If you want to be a teacher and you want to move to Georgia, you could Google for the most part how much the teachers make at three years and you could at least get a range. That's not the same thing for like, um, becoming a freelance writer. It's hard. So you can't just Google it and be like, how much do freelance writers make writing for the New York Times? It's not, right? Because a lot of times that information is somebody got to school you the game. You know what I'm saying? So I ended up becoming like very intentional about making sure I was schooling other black writers because I remember going through this with Ebony and not knowing where to go to for help. No one wanted to stare with me because people was like, I don't really want to say nothing. I don't want to get blacklisted, whatever, whatever. So that was a crazy time. So I ended up taking all of those experiences and, and, and becoming like the chair of the freelance task force for NABJ, National Association of Black Journalism, so that I can mentor and find opportunities and teach people about the business of journalism, the business of writing. And I remember when COVID hit, um, our, my fear was got hit big time. Like, journalists were getting laid off left and right. So freelance journalism was definitely impacted. It was a lot. So during that time, I created like this free webinar, which is called like how to pivot, like the business of writing. And um, 
I literally, I just gave out like a free e-class and um, I did it with NABJ and I was like, share it wide. I don't care if people are in NABJ, don't gatekeep, just give it to everybody. So that's what I did. And it ended up going to somehow, because God is good, like a dean from the University of Toronto found my class and he asked me to create a formal class for them. So I'm very, so I did. So I teach the business of writing, the business of freelance writing at the University of Toronto because I'm really... Um, that's important, right? And I always tell people the writing is just a small part of the game, bro. Like you got, there's so much more that I would say probably it's like 40%. Like there's so much more to that, like the business piece of it. So I, I learned and I understood what that meant for freelance writing. And then I give out game for free all the time. Like I said, that's how I got the contract at the University of Toronto. Fast forward to um, becoming a first-time author and knowing the business of this. This is a whole new beast. And I feel like I was really unprepared mentally for like the business side of that. Um, because as you read my uh, my book, you know that you know, I, I'm not just a workaholic. Like a lot of that, she got to go hard work 24 seven. That's a trauma response. That's that she, she used to be broke and she's scared of ever being broke again. So I don't, you know, so learning what that balance is. Right. So I got so happy. Like, I'm like, yes, I'm signed with Hachette. This is a big publication. I'm gonna have a whole team. I'm gonna have a squad. I thought I wrote the book. I'm gonna sit back. It's gonna be cake from here. That's not true. I did not know that you have to be the Jay-Z, the artist, and you still gotta be your own beast, your own Dame Dash. You gotta be out there on 10 o'clock at night and podcasts, DMs, like, you know, sliding their DMs, like, yo, what's up? Hey, big head. Like, really? (laughs) You're about to shoot your shot and all of that, but you're really just trying to get on their show. Like, you have to be constant and nonstop going. So, in terms of what I learned about the business of being an author, which is very different from the business of writing, is that you got to be your own Jay and your own Dane. Like, and I don't care how big your publisher is, you just, that's just what the, the, the nature of this beast is. And I was like, whoa, I was completely underprepared for that. Word, word. Nah, I mean, there's this, there's so much there, right? Um, I just, I, I like that you know that though. And it's interesting because one time I'm, I'm, I'm on Twitter and, I'm seeing this thread where there, there's, I guess, someone who's an author. I, I, I genuinely don't remember the name. I think it might have been like a YA author. Um, and, you know, she she was saying it's it's too much, essentially. Right. Um, and and I'm, I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember the exact quote. Mm-hmm. It's too much to put on the authors to say, OK, you wrote this book and now you got to be like your biggest promotional person like despite the fact that you are publishing your book through a publishing house and mm-hmm. you know i i feel where she's coming from but i just respectfully disagreed and the only reason is because it's just like i don't know i'm i guess i'm just out here living right and and mm-hmm. i just know no one is ever going to champion you the way you could champion you mm-hmm. it don't matter how big your machine is like yeah. no one even even if your machine is going crazy for you I think you got to out champion yourself more than the machine is to be honest. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just, that's how I see it. I could be wrong. But- yeah, no one's going to want to go harder for me than me. And that's twofold. That's because, and honestly, and that's something I had to be real honest with myself for when I was having meetings with my team, um, like my publisher and, uh, um, 
my publicist, I mean, my, you know, and um, like my agent and everybody. I'm also the, I'm the founder and CEO of Shanita Hubbard LLC. Like I run my own business. So I have to ask myself, like, I'm, I'm a whole beast. Like I'm, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how much of like, is it a realistic expectation to expect somebody to be able to go as hard as I will go for me. And that's the answer is that's just not going to do it, right? It's like they're not going to be up at 10 o'clock at night and folks DMs, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, granted, that's inappropriate, but I'm just talking about in terms of like going hard for you, like kiss me, like, and I'm still thinking about, you know, making a hit when I'm taking a shit. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're not going to go as hard as me, but I hear, I don't know who that author is that said that, but when you said I respectfully push back, there's some things that they might not have wanted to say in public because it's not a good, it's mm. like having a job and then you going out, you know, talking about how shitty your employee is. Even if there's some valid things that's going on, people are less, you know, likely to do that. So there yeah. could be some, so there's some things that she's probably alluding to. Yes, it can be, it's it's shocking, right? You know what I'm saying? How hard you have to go to, but there's also something to be said. I need to start, I want to have these conversations with more white writers because um my circle is just all black writers and we all sound the same. I don't know if white writers have the same expectation. Like, I don't know. I don't. I can't say I can't say that it is. I'm like, you know, I'm going to have to start having these conversations because there's also there's this thing collectively just as outside of publishing, right? I come from um, a nonprofit sector and I always say that the reward for competency and non-for-profit isn't more money, it's more work. Because when they know that, oh, Shanita's dope, she gonna handle it. They're going to give me more projects. Very few times that that comes with, oh, you know what? You killed that, it's a check, right? Mm -hmm. And usually you, like, you were excellent with that. Can you handle this too, right? So I know, so for, it's very hard for black writers to get a book deal. It's it's like, I don't even know what the number is, but last I checked, honestly, publishing has got to be like a good 80% white male dominated, right? It's super hard for us to get a book deal. So a lot of times, especially if you have one of the big five, Hachette is one of the big five, right? So now you, it's hard to get a book deal. A lot of us, once we get there, we don't want to shake the table. So if we're there and they are putting enormous amount of pressure and stress and unrealistic and even unfair pressure for us to do the marketing, a lot of us not going to say too much. We just happy to be here. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I said I want to have these conversations with white writers because I don't know I don't know what the standard is. Like I said, all my black writer friends, they sound like me, but this could just be publishing mm -hmm. in general. I don't know. Can you provide us your synopsis or elevator pitch of what Rider Die is about and let us know the inspiration behind it? Okay. Um, damn, I never got good with elevator pitch, but let me try it. So I use hip hop as a um, just as a lens or a talking point to deconstruct issues that are um, specific to Black womanhood. And I'll draw on things from my personal life to make it relatable. And as you guys know, and if you guys haven't read the book yet, so the chapters are all like have something to do with hip hop or there's like, mm -hmm. for example, one of my favorite chapters is 444, right? Yeah. So that's what I'm doing. I'm using hip hop as a lens to deconstruct issues specific to Black womanhood. Yes, yes. I think that was pretty darn good. That I think like the last the, part was probably good. I could have yeah, used it. Yeah. it sounded like a, like a purpose statement for a dissertation. You know, I'm using okay. hip hop as a lens uh, to critically analyze the uh, conditions. Oh, of, my yeah, God. Yeah, so, okay. So, as much as I'd be like, rawr, as you know, I feel like <laughs> in terms of like um, having to be my own Jay and Dame, I will say this in terms of editorial support. Um, my editor, I, um, 
when I was working with, she's fantastic, but she really helped me to think deeper about this. And I'm laughing because I want it's hard because I was like, I, my book, I want it to sound completely like me. So yes, mm -hmm. sometimes we could be talking about your top five and sometimes we could be talking about Ralph Ellison, like all in the same conversation. But I also wanted to be make sure, cause I'm also an instructor and professor. I wanted to make sure to not be too incredibly super duper heavy and academic because yeah. Right. So I wanted to the, I wanted to sound just like me. So there were times where I, and I didn't need to do this, but I guess I was getting too academic. So my editor would do just like you did right now. But like that sounds like a mission statement. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely thought it was like a, a good balance, though. Like, you know, I, I didn't I definitely I, I couldn't tell from reading the book that you had, like, I guess, struggles with quote-unquote academic speak or, or whatever you would call it no no no. that was only like in the first intro that i was writing she was just like you keep sounding academic how, how can you say this differently i'm like i don't know that's how you say it <laughs> you know i you think there's a i don't know what you want me to say <laughs> i don't know i have my i have my like i'm, I'm finishing a phd uh i'm in dissertation right now and i have like my like triggers about some of that too because i think that like as academics, we're like carving out, like or continuing the process of carving out our space as like black scholars. And so, you know, to to one audience, folks might say that it is like an academic speak is is hard to kind of reach. But you use deconstruct because you have command of the word. Mm -hmm. You know, you you that's the word. It was the word that fit. Um, and you know, like like we always say, you know, Morrison will say, "That's reading, baby. Go find out what deconstruct means." Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? So, but it is a balance because you have that behind you, and then you also want it to sound like you, and that is a part of you. You but know, it it, yeah, that's yeah, what, yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. Yeah. That's where I had to settle at in terms of my book. I was like, yo, I'm writing to me, like I'm writing to like my demographic, to my. I'm right, like Morrison said, like you know, like if there isn't a book, not um. Mm -hmm. If yeah, there isn't a book it. that you want to read, but it hasn't, if there's a book that you want to read but it hasn't been written, then you must write it, right? So this, word, is word. What, this is what I sound like. So I wanted to sound completely like me. And of course, yes, sometimes I sound academic because I'm a professor. Mm -hmm. It's okay. And it's sometimes it's f bombs because I'm Shanita, and that's okay mm -hmm. too. Word, Absolutely. Word. The love expressed between women is particular and powerful because we have had to love in order to live. Love has been our survival. Can you talk to us about this quote from Audre Lorde and why you chose it as your epigraph for Ride or Die? Absolutely. Um, think about right now, um, Tory Lanez is on trial for, you know, allegedly shooting Megan Thee Stallion. And allegedly, for listeners, it's just a legal term <laughs> that we just have to use here. So it's not about implying whether or not we believe her, because I believe her. But so she's on trial here. And of course, if you guys are following the news, I'm sorry, she's not on trial here. That's the problem. It sounds like she is on trial, but it's Tory Lanez, you know, so she's on trial and for public opinion and she's being, you know, rappers are making fun of her, you know, and it's just being ridiculous. And I've, and I will, and I've said this time and time again, um, it's no way on earth, um, what's that white chick's name? Taylor Swift could get shot by a man and Drake will come out and make her the pun of a joke in his song and, and still have a career. Like that's just not going to happen. You just can't do that to a white woman in America and be okay, but you can do it to black women. But you know who gets this without us having to explain much? 
good black woman, you know, who will show up super hard, like not just for Meg, but for the Megs we know in our real life and like love on us and be real. Not saying that black men don't, but we have historically shown up for each other in a way that hasn't required um, an explanation. Like Meg doesn't need to hit a bat signal for black women to show up for us to know we in pain and we doing it, right? Because the love between us is so special and it's so particular and we've needed it to survive and we still do, right? So and that just speaks to um, where we are and the relationship I have with other black women. And of course, the tone for my book is about sisterhood. Yeah. Love, love. That's real. First of all, I know this is going to be super fun and informative. We already have proved that. Uh, but mm-hmm. because of the way, like you said, you slid in my DMs like a regular human. Uh, I love, love, love authors that are regular human beings. Uh, <laughs> so my first question is the most obvious obvious question, but not necessarily an easy one, uh, craft-wise. It's mm-hmm. obvious from the synopsis of the book uh, and the blurbs that hip-hop operates as one of the focal lenses uh, through which you chose to analyze some of the concepts in your book. What I was most struck by was the care with which you treated these songs, uh, the artists that wrote them, and even the ideas presented, uh, while making sure to remind the reader that hip-hop did not start any of these issues. Why was it important to provide hip-hop with the love and care while making sure to also not let it off the hook for the ways in which it perpetuates harm? Oh, I love that. Okay, so um, thank you for that question. So I heard this term a while ago. Um, it was about teaching kids, right? And well, just it was about teaching. And it was like, you know, people don't know. Kids. No, actually, he's a teacher. So he was, it was, it was a reference to children. It was like, kids don't care what you know until they know that you care, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're trying, I don't know if you guys are parents or if you have children in your life. Um, and they don't, they need to know that you care first. Otherwise, they ain't gonna hear shit that you have to say. It was important for me to let the readers know that I am not outside of the culture saying this is what we need to do to get it better. I'm saying this is my culture, this is my family, and I ain't going nowhere. And this is what we need to do so that we can be better. Yeah, yeah, that's a bar there. And that I'm a teacher and a parent. Um, oh. and when I first went in there, I was like, oh, this is gonna be easy. I'm gonna show up. <laughs> As the black man of their dreams, I've been. <laughs> I know all their gang signs, uh, and they're gonna love me. And they were like, "Uh, and we don't care about that, right?" Uh, and so you're absolutely right. Like the caring part is what uh, allowed me to do some transformative things there. And of course, uh, my son, uh, who carries my namesake because there was no other name that was worthy. <laughs> uh, knows that I care deeply about him. Uh, so I totally agree, and I, I love this idea of like you know, like not disavowing um, your part in the culture, because for one, that gives you the right to to uh, police it, to critique mm-hmm. it and to love it uh, fiercely. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it just reminds me kind of like of that Baldwin quote. Uh, I love America more than uh, anybody in the world. And for that, I will uh, criticize her, you know, so and so, so on, so on and so forth. Because you I know, love that you said yeah. that. I actually brought that. I bring that quote up and with a remix. Like, I don't know that. I, I share Brother Baldwin's patriotism for this country. Actually, yeah, I yeah, don't, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So, but I do love hip hop deeply, right? And I have, and I reserve the right to to critique it. It's mine. Like it's out mm-hmm. everywhere. Like we, mm-hmm. I, I can talk about this, and we're gonna make this better. Yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. also not even just about hip hop, right? Because hip hop is always 
um, at its best, like at its core from, from the founding, hip hop has always been a microphone to amplify the voices in marginalized communities. I would yeah. say that I'm using my book, right? in my book, I'm using hip hop for its original purpose, right? To magnify the voices of marginalized people. And in this case, it's black women, um, people whose voices have been silent. So in, in the scope of hip hop, it's, it's black women, it's our LGBTQ fit, um, family, these are voices that I want to magnify and I want to use hip hop as a microphone to do that. Love, love. Yes. Ooh, no, that's a bar right there. Mm -hmm. That is a, that's a, that's a great way of like reclaiming something there. I, I really like how you, how you spend that. Mm -hmm. Um, So in your, in your ode to black women, you mentioned artists like, you know, artists who we've spoken about already, right? Like Biggie, Jay, Nas, Jada, right? As inspirations for your writing. And you also mentioned how as you got older, you realized that a lot of hip hop is consists of basically the misrepresentation of black women. Um, and that's if they're represented at all. And maybe like a month or so ago, I was listening to this uh this pod, Bootleg Kev, right? And they had and uh Bootleg Kev had Sweetie on there. And there was a clip from that interview that went viral, right? Where she's basically saying that women are running hip hop. And she stated that within hip hop, there's too much violence and disrespect, right? That exists among the men. And she said that the vibrations need to get raised and that there's a lack of empathy and love, right? And they were speaking in particular at that moment, right? About Los Angeles. But mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't think it had to be specific to Los Angeles. I think that was maybe like just throwing in a little bell or whatever but yeah. really i think i think she's probably speaking to the culture right and um i guess i i wonder about your thoughts on on hip-hop at the moment just being someone who is of the culture right someone who's in it not even just of it you're in it it's in you right what are your thoughts on hip-hop at the moment and just your thoughts on women within the genre mm -hmm. um so let's start i guess the questions are connected, right? So if I start talking about the, the second part of it, it'll answer it. I'm so, I'm in a different place. So I have such a different, a deeper appreciation for women in a genre that I wouldn't have had, let's say when I was in college or when I was in high school. Like right mm -hmm. now, one of my favorite songs is like, um, a person I'm really rocking with. And I mean, until she said some dumb shit about paying somebody $500 a week to be her assistant. Oh, big glow. <laughs> but glow is, the, is that chick. Like, I, I'm that my girl. Like, I really rock with her. Her favorite song is like, oh my gosh, F-R-E-E, -E, fuck nigga free. Bro, that's a testimony. Like, that's an affirmation. Like, wake up in the morning and speak that over your life. Like, if you are not mm -hmm. fucking free, we're going to believe God that in 2023 you will be. Right? So... <laughs> There's a married woman that can't say that, but we're going to believe God that you're going to be able to say that too. Mm -hmm. right? Amen. So Amen. That's a testimony for anybody that ever wasn't fuck nigga free, right? So mm -hmm. I'm like, yes, girl, you better speak to my heart, Lord. So, mm -hmm. and not only that, and then she's like hanging out the window with my ratchet ass friends. Like, there's mm -hmm. this whole celebration of being single. And I love that for them because in our culture and society, we like to weaponize singleness against women, you know, we in a way that we just simply don't do for men, right? Like, yeah, we'll, we'll laugh. When George Clooney, I don't even know if I remember if he still is single, but he was a perpetual bachelor. And they was like, what is it going to take to lock him down? The perpetual bachelor. And it was so sexy and so wonderful. Holly Berry break up with somebody and people will take what's wrong with her. She must got whack pussy. And they will tear her to pieces because she's an old hag and something must be wrong with you. Right. So there's this way that singleness is weaponized against women. And um, 
and makes us operate from a scarcity mentality. It's a really dangerous mm -hmm. thing. But yeah. so I love the whole embracingness of not have, I feel like this embracing this singleness is a rejection of that norm. And I love that, right? So I mm -hmm. love that. That um, and it's not like that's new. The thing that's new is like I have a deeper appreciation for it because it's not like she's you know Trina was talking about being the baddest bitch from you know from whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not that the only thing that's new is, is my appreciation for it. So I love that these young girls, oh shit, I love that a WAP exists, right? But of course, mm -hmm. there had to be Kim and all these other people for that to happen. And I love that we're even having this conversation. So in terms of like, what do I think about the state of hip hop? I feel like I love that the, the young girls are doing shit that I like, I'm applauding them for. Like I want to hear older women talking about being fuck nigga free. I want that for you too, sis. <laughs> I want that to be able to, I want that to be your testimony. I want that for you too, right? So I, I love that and that's exciting. So it's, yeah, I think yeah. I, I'm excited about the young girls and what they're doing. Word, yeah, no, nah, and, and and I am too, and, and it's interesting because I thought about it after I asked it. I was like, of course, I would ask the woman who wrote the book about mm -hmm. hip hop and its intersection with Black women's lives. I would ask her about women in rap, but I will say, I think this question worked in the context of the book. So mm -hmm. you know, I'm glad. I'm glad that you uh, just spoke about Glorilla. Um, you know, and I, I've always, and, and Achilles can vouch for this, I've always been like, yo, Meg is the one. Yeah, he loves you know Meg. Yeah. Meg. Lo is my girl. Yeah. And Meg so. is his girl. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, Thank you. I love him. As a man who most certainly received the cure uh, for all that was broken and <laughs> or not connecting within me, uh, I want to talk <laughs> about the idea that black men are just one good woman away from being whole. Uh, through your cousin, Fred, who was one of the smartest people in your life, um, mm -hmm. you talked about your uh, personal want to see him reach his full potential and the reassurance you gave yourself that one day he'll meet a good black woman that will help him get where he needs to be. I think sometimes in our culture, as your book points out, we deify uh, this yearning as some natural inclination that black women just feel uh, for the black man. And as I stated earlier, I am grateful for the role it has played in my life. Amen. However, I also, as a black man, uh, live completely oblivious to the toll it took on the women who offered it. Uh, mm. Can you talk about the pros and cons of the cure uh, and playing build a brother and why mm. it was important to illuminate this for us, uh, both brothers and sisters alike? Thank you. Um, mm -hmm. Honestly, when I before I answer that, I got a few questions about. I think because I do, I do these conversations with mm -hmm. a lot of my conversations so far have been mostly with black men, right? For my book launch event, it was a black guy. I, you know, I'm on tour. I'm going to Baltimore, January fifth. I'm meeting with D. Watkins. Like it's all. A, a largely in part with men. And then of course I'm writing two black women, but I also want black men to have these conversations with other black men. I want you guys to help me champion this. So to answer your question, um, why was this important? And because this is exactly what you just said. You said you appreciate the black women that, you know, have helped you gotten to this point, but you've never realized the toll that it takes on them. And that is why I wanted to illuminate. That's part of the things I wanted to illuminate in this book, because it's like black women, it's almost like you guys, we are not when I say you, obviously, I'm not talking about you. Yeah, yeah. Like, so um, culturally in our society, not even just culturally, we are treated like 
gods without the reverence, right? But just the expectation, right? You can do it, you know what I'm saying? Like, you better go ahead and fix this. Save America from itself. Fix this election. Go. All that man need is, you know, not Jesus, not God, not Allah. (laughs) What he need is a good black woman, right? So we have this expectation to fix, to do all, to be all, and then have endless mercy for people, like, you know what I'm saying? Like over and over and over and be able to do this and like not even rest on the seventh day, right? So we're just supposed to be able to do this constantly, continuously and people fail to consider the toll that that takes on us. Like, yes, we can pour into you and we can save this country from itself and we can raise this community and we can do all of this, but what about, what is this costing us? There is a real cost to this that people aren't factoring in nearly enough. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, I don't think you have to say, you know, when you say you, you're not talking specifically with us, because I think I don't know about Reggie, but hell, you are. Hell, I I I wanted to put this in here because I didn't know it mm-hmm. took conversations right with uh, with my woman to uh, understand. Right. Uh, it took being open to those conversations, because I think a lot of times we shut that down. Um, mm-hmm. We shut that down. We're trained to shut it down. Your dad mm-hmm. tell you to shut it down. Your mama tell mm-hmm. you to shut it down, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. You know, it takes us being open to have these conversations. And like you said, to champion books like this, um, because, uh, you know, it, it, it is a cheat code. Because if you can, I, I just think learning, I always tell, say to my wife, like, you're the best book I've ever read. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's just an ongoing process that, um, you know, it just helps you have a better home, uh, you know, for, for you and her. It's like, how could you not want that? And so, again uh brothers um this book um is is like a like a cheat code like a cheat code like a like a rosetta stone uh <laughs> and then the, then there's the hip-hop uh element um you know there's a there's an ongoing conversation in this book that i really appreciate it uh so yeah word word yeah and it's just it's it's flat out relatable you know everybody always talking about uh I can't relate and blah, blah, blah. This book didn't, you know, and it's like there there ain't no way you ain't going to relate to this. Like if you if you got black women in your life, like you're you going to relate to this book point blank. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so that that's just a poor excuse if someone were to say that. Um, memories on the corners with the foes and the moles. Walk to the store with the rose. Talk to them straight forward to hoes. Got uncles that smoke and some put blow up their nose to cope with the lows. The wind is cold and it blows. So oh, okay, I gotta, okay. I gotta tell you, right? I appreciate you doing an essay on the corner because it gave me an excuse to revisit Commons mm-hmm. the corner, right? Mm-hmm. Not only that, but also because you you talk about something that I've always heard endless things about. So I'm not, I'm not from like the city, so I don't, I don't really have the direct corner experience from like growing up. I've, I've mainly heard about it and maybe I don't, to be honest, I guess I haven't been on the, the parts of the city where it's like that prevalent where I, I've seen it. Right. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, I appreciate you talking about the corner and just what it means, the dichotomy of what it means to black men versus what it means to black mm-hmm. women. Um, and I have two questions about the corner, right. Or and two questions inspired by the corner. Can you talk to us about the role that store owners also play on the corner? Right. I asked that because you you give an anecdote that I won't I won't get like too specific about. But it, it's an anecdote from when you were 12 years old mm-hmm. and, and you were in the corner. You were on the corner. 
just walking and then you had to walk away. But the store owner wasn't that helpful either. Hmm. And, and it made me think of this is a little, you know, tragic, but it made me think of that that junior story from a couple years back in the Bronx. Right. Yeah. And just how, you know, even that's that's totally different context. But nonetheless, store owners seem to play a part in perpetuating harm on the corner as well. And then I also wanted to talk about I want you to talk to us about what does a safe space look like for you? Because you talk about how the safe space, you know, looks for the black men on the corner. But what does a safe space look like for you as hmm. a black woman with black women? Oh, okay. So the first part of your question is right. We're talking about the corner, right? You don't want to go. You guys gonna have to read the book the, um, to get the get details of this. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a very unsafe situation for me uh, when I was 12 years old, and um, you know, I ended up tr- thinking I was trying to escape it, and I ran into the the, the corner store. And you pointed out um, as you applied as you pointed out that the store owner wasn't helpful to me. And that was a really good catch, right? Cause I wasn't, I mean, I noted that obviously, right. But not too many people point out, notice the role that the store owner played. Part of the problem is in our communities, the people might, the, the store owners don't look like us. A lot of times they are not, you know, they're not, they're not, they're making money from our communities. They take our money, but those are not our corners, community stores anymore. They're not our mom and pop stores where it used to be owned back in the day by somebody that might went to school with one of your cousins. So if you come running in that store out of breath, they're going to be checking like what's happening. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, they, we don't have that in our communities anymore. We got these bodegas that are not owned by us. So I wasn't just a, a young black girl that walked into that ran into that store that was in trouble. I was a potential thief. Like what is, yeah. it, what is this person doing in there? So no one saw that. Wow, she's not safe. So part of the problems in our community is that we're not even like, you know, not to sound on old Damon Dash, right? But we're not even owning these stores. They're not even ours. So that's part of it. And what does safe spaces look like for me? That's that's a oh, that's a great question. Um Honestly, for me, I am safe. I feel safest when I'm in like this. That's a that's a really good question. I'd have to think about that some more because I wanted to say that if I'm in my own hood, but that's not always the case because this happened in my own hood, right? You know what yeah. I'm saying? People getting shot and stuff in their own hood, so I can't even say that. I don't know. You know, no one is. I have thought about that in a long time. Like I could tell you what safe spaces are not, but I have. I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. I was just thinking uh, when Reggie was talking about not being from the city. Um, um, well, well, two things. I thought at first, Reggie, I thought you were headed into um, the you know the heckler thing, right? Where yeah. uh, you know, uh, guy sees woman walk by, he's with three or four dudes. He says, "Hey, what's up?" She says, "I'm trying to keep going, right?" Um, and then he's like, "You know, bump you old busted head, da 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 da," right? Um, and in thinking of that, I thought about. Um, at least in in my experience in the South, we we in, in you know in my South, right? We build corners, mm-hmm. right? And so I was thinking, like, I built this space on on campus called the Stoop, and we did the same thing, right? And then I was thinking about the safe space thing, and I was thinking about you know, like like when you were interrogating the song in the chapter, Common felt like that's a set. The whole song is a safe space for him, right? I'm thinking about. What that really means is that when we build these corners, we feel safest in the patriarchy, you mm-hmm. know, in the patriarchy and the uh, in the upholding of it. And um, when you think about the part where you were like, I feel safest in my own hood, there are certain things when you after you've built the corner that, that the patriarchy doesn't even allow for 
So it's not really even safe for us. We just mm-hmm. played a role in the perpetuation of it. I might not even feel like saying that to a woman as she goes by, right? Like the heckler thing. But the dude behind me going to say, oh, you're going to let her walk? do you like that? Mm-hmm. Right. And so it, it's just like a, like when I talk about it with my wife, it's like the world of men uh, takes care of itself. Uh, it polices mm-hmm. itself, et cetera. And so I was just um, to my question, I guess I, I'll kind of dive into it because it works with where we are. Um, but I had the distinct privilege of teaching the same students uh, for all four years of their high school experience. And it has been one of the biggest blessings of my life uh, because I'm close to them in the way that I don't think many people ever get to be uh, close. Right. Uh, one of the things my girl students who have grown up to be phenomenal women who I'm very proud of um if they're watching, because sometimes they do. But one of the things they always talk to me about once I made sure they knew my classroom was a safe space or as safe as I could provide was their dealings with older men. And like I said, in my in my South, we don't necessarily have corners. I kind of already been through that part. But girls are preyed on uh, when they are released as walkers uh, from school. They are uh, preyed on when they get off the bus. And they aren't really safe anywhere, to be honest. And this public expression of interest in their bodies uh, warped their understandings of it, uh, made them feel like they were doing something wrong, which you kind of talk about that as well, and forced them into hardening, as you talked about. Can you talk about how transformative it might be if we were to hear male rappers do the work of interrogating the harm men do on these corners in our communities? And can you also talk about how those interactions manifest themselves in women as adults? Absolutely. One, um, the first part of your question, um, well, your first part of your statement, right? When you're talking about being in the corners and let's just say a guy sees a, a, a girl, she, you know, she wants to just go on about her day. So she rejects his calls and he goes, well, F you, then I don't want to be with you, whatever, whatever, which is awful. And then you said that his friend would be like, damn, you're going to talk to you like that. Whatever the mm-hmm. case, right? Which is awful in itself, but when we're talking about is like I was twelve, you know, these were very mm-hmm. very grown men, like on the corners. Yeah. And this is my own hood, my own community, so they knew exactly how old I was, which is often the case. How transformative would it be if you see, like, I don't know, um, if you see like a video like Common where we show these things, right, in hip hop, not even just like the corners, right? If you actually show a young girl getting harassed, like, show that for real. We want to talk about the corners, let's talk about what's going on for real. When Common's mm-hmm. talking about um, talking straightforward to hoes, I was the hoes they was quote unquote taking forward, talking straightforward to. I was 12, 12 I, I mean, I was just. Some twelve-year-old child that just maybe had a had a baby face, but you know, the body of an older woman. How powerful mm-hmm. would it be if you saw a young girl, a grown man? Like, let's visually put this out there. You see a video instead of Biggie, you know, getting snatched up by the police and all these other rappers. You see him getting snatched up by the police in videos. That's important because it keeps people deeply empathetic and engaged and realizing that police violence is real in its corners and it's happening in our communities. And it keeps us wanting to, you know, keeps the foot on the gas and it keeps us wanting to, quote unquote, protect the endangered black man. But how powerful would it be is if you saw if you saw these same videos where you saw these big grown ass men trying to holler at these young girls mm-hmm. and, and their friends don't say nothing. Like, yep. let that image play out in a video, right? And let that conversation happen from there. Like, he kept calling a little girl, grabbing her ass and stuff, and, her, and, his, and, and the man don't say anything. That should be an indictment on the friend, the whole circle, the whole squad. Mm-hmm. So if rappers was hot, if this stuff was 
in our videos more, right? And we can see this visualization. I don't even think you'd have to like, the rapper have to do like a whole think piece around that. You show that right there and people will deconstruct it. People will have these conversations. So that's the power of, of art. That's the power of hip hop. So yes, that would be amazing if these were open conversations and open dialogues that we said that we had in our community. Because if you... If we did this, when Reggie asked me, so what does safe spaces look like for you? I wouldn't be stuck by that question. I'd be able to identify spots, right? You guys are in a a position to help create safe spaces for me or create safe spaces for black women and younger uh, and young black girls. When when these things are, I know that I love that you said that you're a teacher and it's wonderful that you get to teach the same kids for four years, right? But when we have these conversations, like I would love for you to have these conversations with young boys about Mm -hmm. not Let's not even call it street harassment. It is to be another word. We're talking about grown men sexually harassing these young girls, right? Use this language when you talk to these boys in class. Tell exactly what it is. Have conversations about safe spaces. How we take either you taking away from somebody's safe space or you contributing to it. Like it's not. It's only those are the two things. So it would be mm. dope if hip hop was leading the charge with this, like visually, yeah. if you saw it in videos, if they was in conversations, right? Safe spaces for black women. How do we, how do we create them or how we take it away from them? Yeah. You said two things. Um, so I, I did a thing called teen summit um, and in the classroom. Cause I thought it was something that was missing out. I, I like to let them kind of have their conversation. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just thinking of the ways that you, the, you just said that we create those safe spaces. Right. Um, because I was just thinking, cause Lord, I know, I know women, black women have created safe spaces for black men. I know mm-hmm. I've been in a whole bunch of them and I know that the girl students would do that during the teen summit where I would kind of like wrap them in a circle. Um, so that's something. Then another thing, um, you know, when you talk about the possible power of unpacking, like men taking the time to unpack this, I was just thinking about a random thing I saw. Uh, with Freddie Gibbs, when you said, you know, I was the, when when Common says talking straightforward to hoes, that was me. When Freddie Gibbs was, you know, Freddie Gibbs is just crazy in general, but he was on there and he said, "It's dudes as fifty uh, talking about where the hoes at, right? Like they go into the club and they say where the hoes at, and they say, dude, your daughter the hoes, mm-hmm. right? But the nuance of that, the the things you were planning to go do when you say you are looking, right? The nuance of that that Freddie Gibbs is is giving." probably unbeknownst to him, right? Is that mm-hmm. your daughter is now up against you, right? Mm-hmm. And the things that you kind of went out uh, and did. And, and that's always just kind of just stuck to me. Uh, me and my wife uh, talked about that a good deal because it's, you know, what that really means, right? Is you, you got other, you have other worries that you probably should be uh, thinking about because nine times out of 10, if you're that type of man who, you know, you now are 50 and asking that question, you probably haven't provided the safe space, like you said, um, that was probably necessary, right? Um, it's just something to kind of think about. And a lot of times those conversations, like you said, go unchecked uh, by men in those circles. You know what? I, I mean, the nuance is, is certainly there, like when he says your daughter's the whole, but I wish we was able to help men to connect more without them having to be fathers first, Cause that's mm-hmm. hard. Like, and that um, my chapter was what four forty four when I'm revisiting that song. Mm-hmm. You know, Jay Z was a whole fifty year old man mm-hmm. when at the time when that song came out, he was already the wife of a black woman. He was already the son of a black mother. He was already the the brother of brother, a black yeah. 
um, sister. But on this song, he was like, it took for my daughter to be born to see the eyes to, you know, a woman. And I'm paraphrasing here. So I'm like, yo, you existed almost a, a whole, you know, for 50 years before you considered the world through our eyes, Black man. Like you have, you know what I mean? Like you, it took you this long, but we are conditioned to always consider the world through your eyes. Like when I was like whole, whole radicalized, I remember I'm going to get my degree in criminal justice and I'm going to do this because I'm going to fix the system because they keep incarcerating our brothers, right? So we're conditioned to do this. A lot of us become radicalized when we, um, a lot of people became radicalized against police violence because we started seeing the videotapes and, you know, whether it was Trayvon Martin, like we didn't get radicalized years before this to hop in the streets about, you know, disproportionate um, in, um, death, infant mortality rates or disproportionate uh, rates in which black women are dying during given childbirth. Right. So it's not it's very it's not often that we as a community get radicalized when there's issues around black womanhood. But we can get radicalized when it's issues, some things pertaining to black men, because we have always been conditioned to see the world through your eyes. And yeah. it's just not. What happens to a community when one of them doesn't even see the world through our eyes and the other one is raised to always see life through theirs? That's a lopsided mm. community. It's a lopsided relationship. It's a lopsided household. So when I'm talking about here, it's not just about hip hop, but it's about us. It's about our community and generations. Yeah. No, and, yeah, and some bars there. And no, yes. And all I'm all I'm thinking about as you say this, right, is just the the bare minimum right and how you know just jay-z just had to make a record and there's think pieces there's you know twitter was going crazy when 444 came out the night mm -hmm. 444 came out that's the night i'll never there's a couple nights there's a couple hip-hop nights on twitter that i'll never forget and one of them was the night when 444 came out because Everyone was loving on Jay, like, yo, he giving it up on here. Like, he talking about everything. He ain't holding nothing back. And it was on title at the time and all that, right? So people, you know, you would find ways to listen to it and all that, and I, you know, whatever. But, mm -hmm. um, but nonetheless, right, you are, in my opinion, still very gracious in your work, right? Very, very gracious. And when I think about this bare minimum and how – you know, you could just make a song, write an essay, whatever. And 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 if you're a man, right, you you just it's coming all crazy, right? You're gonna trend. Your grace is gonna trend on Twitter, right? But it takes so much more for like women to get that same thing. You it couldn't just be an essay. You, mm -hmm. It's gonna take much more than that essay, right? Mm -hmm. And I just want to know how you reckon with the the double standard of grace when it comes mm -hmm. to women. Mm -hmm. Um, for one, we, we started out, let's, we got to point it out, right? So, and I love that you so because there is a double standard. Like, for example, my gosh, you know how much it took for people to stop fucking with Kanye West? Kanye West, <laughs> this man, we're talking about years ago, was rocking a freaking Confederate sign on his, Confederate flag on his arm. This nigga was talking about, uh, part of my language is so offensive. You know, my bitch, like, make your bitch look like precious. Talking about, you know, when he got with Kim Kardashian, everything is wrong with that sentence. The anti-blackness, all of it, everything is wrong with that, right? The layers and layers, the Kanye-isms, right? Kanye has been forever, like, having the, he, no, very few people suck off white supremacists like Kanye West. Forget him just like, you know, lap dancing Donald Trump and just, 
I don't know if you've heard any of his interviews that these clips that would be on Fox News, Fox News. This man came out of his mouth and said there's a whole thing about how hard life is out here for straight white men. Like there's a whole lot of reasons that should have like people should have stopped fucking with Kanye. They didn't stop messing with Kanye. All of this, all of this, until he started saying, until he started wearing them White Lives Matter t-shirt. This man is like spit on our ancestors. Slavery was a choice. It wasn't until he started like really becoming emboldened and saying, you know, like with the White Lives Matter t-shirt. But Kanye had grace for eons. For years, people will argue you down. That damn K, what was her name? Chrisette, not Chrisette Michelle, the girl that sang at Trump's inauguration. Uh, I, can't, I can't even think Wasn't of that Chrisette? Was I think it was Chrisette. I think it was Chrisette Michelle, okay. yeah. We could barely think of her name. And she's freaking not even part of you know what I'm saying. Like, we people finished her off with your head, black woman. Like, she is done. So she doesn't get that type of grace that, <coughs> excuse me, Kanye got, and he was far. Kanye is dangerous, dangerous. And, and um, he's allowed to get unmitigated amount of grace. Like you said, all Jay Z had to be like, listen. I had to take for my daughter to be born. And then I finally started to be like, what can life be like for black women? And people said, that's grown man hip hop right there. And we was just, and that's it. That's all it took. He was like, this is because the bar is so freaking low because he was no more, you know, big pimping jack. He did say a little bit better, but the amount of grace should be insulting to you guys because how low does the bar have to be for some of y'all to get great? You know what I'm saying? Like, mm. come on, like we sweat the bar. That should speak to how low the bar is sometimes for our brothers. Like we just allow y'all to just, you know what I'm saying? Just whatever. So there is, it seems like there is unlimited, this is limitless grace for yeah black men that is simply doesn't seem like it's always awarded to us. And I talk about like Chrisette Michelle, she's, you get one time and then you're one and done, honey. So how do I respond to that? I try to be, I am, a, the more marginalized you are, the more grace I am intentional about trying to give you mm. period, because the world is just not going to do that for you. I so it that. took me a lot. Like if I fire a black woman on the team, she earned that. Like it took me a lot. Like I have tremendous grace for black women because Shanita might be one of the few people in the world that's going to give that to you. So we start by pointing it out, like knowing that's real. And I tried to handle it on a micro level by in my personal life, like making sure I'm extending grace. And I do my best to use my work to amplify this messages and point this out. Yeah. I just want to say um, I was throwing that praise break because I just had to endure two conversations with two of my friends about Kanye West uh, mm. in a DM that went far too long, uh, all because they were giving him grace, right, for some of the things you've already pointed out so that they could get to a sentence in a three hour interview that says something like God is love. I was like, he I was like, you had to sit three hours to know that. I was like, people have been mm. telling you that forever. Right. Like there's nothing profound in that one sentence that you just had to sift through all this terrible stuff to get, you know, um, you know, just because somebody says what goes around comes around in a three hour interview on Fox News. Hell, your grandma, your grandma been telling you that all your life. So why are you willing to like I, I asked both of them, what will it take? Right. For you to just be like, OK. Right. Uh, so that's why I was kind of throwing that prayers break, and I hope they see that. I hope this becomes one of the clips. Uh, but yeah, go ahead, Reggie. You like no. you got something? No, I mean it's just you know I, I'm like the pushback king, but niggas is still fucking with him. Oh, they <laughs> like, are. Yeah, like you yeah, know, it's just that. like it's just like that's my thing. Like, like people. The thing about Ye is, man. Like, 
it don't matter what he do. Like, you know how Donald Trump said, I go in the street, I could do, I forget what yeah. wild shit he said. Ye should be the one saying that. He could do mm -hmm. anything. He literally can do anything and he's always going to have a fan base. I Like, yo, I'm not going to lie. Like, I need BAPC to get that strong, bro. Another thing that you said, <laughs> like, too, Shanita, about that is he, I, another thing I point out, he desperately wants to be the white people, the white men in particular, that, like, these other people are coming up with these think pieces to say that he's trying to dethrone. I'm like, what do you mean? He wants to be them so desperately. Always oh, has for a long always time. Always has. <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyway, is it is it on me, Reggie? Um, yeah, technically, technically. Okay, okay. So I, I think this one's gonna be kind of good. Uh, well, I mean, they're all good, but I love your I love your relationship with your brother, Kia. Uh, and I want to know about how it's continued to grow for you two as adults. To me, he sounds like the kind of brother who uh, would have grown beyond the Dr. York, uh, the Mayat Hoteps, because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a reformed Hotep. I've said this a few times. You saw, you see, you know, I knew that already. I'm trying to tell you. But, and so on and so forth. And as I read the book, it felt like you two were growing through all of the stages of wokeness together. Uh, can you talk about how important you guys' relationship was to the book and where you guys are in the present? Oh, he's going to love this question. Um, I, gosh, I wish I could give you like a real answer to this because my brother is a mess. He's so funny. He was mm -hmm. like, you write about me in the book. You about to get me on these Fed lists. <laughs> 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 <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> but um my brother, he so he's so important to me and not only to the book because I was telling him this actually the other day recently because my he conditioned me to listen to love words right mm -hmm. when my brother introduced me to hip hop and he was like now nah, listen to him now nah, rewind this because there wasn't no streaming this was before CDs they'd be like now nah, rewind that now nah, run that take back oh you hear what this man is saying right here like so he really conditioned me to listen to words right so. That was my introduction, um, my introduction to falling in love with clever wordplay and using words to tell a story and um, using your art to like create many vignettes. So that was my introduction to that world. And now I'm a writer. So he was incredibly important to me and, and to this book. Um, his, how can I say this? I would like for him, as most hoteps, <laughs> as, a, mm -hmm. as a reformed hotep, you can mm -hmm. attest to, um, the lack of evolution that typically comes along with gender specific issues. So mm, yeah, yeah, for yeah. example, he recently asked me, maybe I want to say four days ago. So he was like, he asked, he was like, so your book, you're a feminist. Is this a lesbian? I was like, <sighs> no. <laughs> right? He was like, so what does yeah, that yeah. mean? So I had to break mm -hmm. down what feminism means. So he said, okay, so what do men call themselves who also believe that? And I'm like, feminist. <laughs> <laughs> I know him well. Like, yeah. He was like, okay, I'm trying to understand. So he's that serious. And I was like, yo, I really don't want to fuck him up and be like, and sometimes lesbians can be feminists. Don't go too hard. Don't go too hard. Don't go too hard. Yes, so yes, I yes. would love for 
his thinking to evolve more in terms of issues specific to black womanhood. So I was like, mm -hmm. had to give him example of why. And I had to tell, like, for example, I'm very clear, like I'm a black feminist, right? Because our issues are very specific and distinct mm -hmm. from black womanhood. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I'm telling him these things. And and, and I'm, I assure you, it felt like he's heard this and listened to it for the very first time. Like when I gave the example, like, you know, we black women die more during childbirth than any other race, right? We have fibroids, like, and all these other things. So we get hysterectomies more like we have very specific issues like for um and that's why my like, he was looking like he never considered that which brings me back to my point of jay like i believe jay when he said he took for his daughter to be born before he considered the um the eyes considered the world through our eyes and yeah. i'm like and i think hoteps are more inclined to take for it to take for their daughter to be born to see the world through their eyes and my brother still, he has a whole daughter. So I don't know what's, you know, I'm, yeah. I would love for him. And maybe, mm -hmm. you know, you can go speak to some of your brother. And I don't know if you still uh -huh. are still like, hey, well, have, they kicked me out. Um, I started making uh, too much space for other, oh, okay. uh, yeah, too much space for other communities. Uh, um, and, you know, so, yeah, they kicked me out. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I love them uh, from afar. But no, for mm -hmm. real, like, I think, like, I was watching Dr. Umar on The Breakfast Club. And I just think that, they're same as like in um same as in like academic uh, when you look at student development theory there are stages right of wokeness and a lot of times brothers get stuck mm -hmm. right and so you know i think envy asked him was there room for various communities at the school that he's been building for a little while and he's he was specific when he was talking about lgbtq uh plus communities uh and i think he he might have said like girls and you know, he said like uh, and then like boys right and then gay men right or gay boys and umar very uh tellingly just focused on the the black boys the black straight mm -hmm. heterosexual boys in his response and i was like you didn't answer the question can members of those other communities go to your school are you making space for them are they in present in your curriculum did he answer the question is not yeah. into work <laughs> yeah, exactly. no. mm -hmm. and so i think like like you said um to that community uh I, and it, to me or at least in my journey it really if you once you kind of get into it right like i mentioned some of the some of the first names that you go into right um it doesn't take long for you to see how some of those people and i mentioned this in the conversation are just trying to be the very communities that they say that they're against right like they want to be able to have multiple women etc cetera, etc cetera, mm -hmm. um and that you know that's just one example but there are certain things that they try to emulate and they revamp the story um, and if you start doing the work, uh, shouting out to my to that community again, if you do the work of continuous uh, learning and knowledge, you'll see a lot of these communities you're trying to shun have been here all the time, uh, have have contributed to the very work you think you know, right? Uh, and so um, I, I just found that interesting, um, especially when we get into the Laura Hill chapter two, uh, just how you have to do a little bit of reprogramming uh, as mm -hmm. you learn better, you do better. Uh, but go ahead, Rich. I love no, that. And, and can I just say that a lot of people, when we talk about like adding in, you know, making space for other communities and just like uh, whether it's a queer community or you know, a woman or, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. just make a space for somebody that's not cis, a cisgender, heterosexual, black male. A lot of times people don't want liberation. They want their turn, right? They want their turn to be top oppressor. They don't want liberation. That's what their fight is about. Clip that up. Oh um, yeah, no, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she, cook that up. 
You was cooking. You was cooking. <sighs> this year, right, I've just been, like, I guess, just interrogating my relationship to art. And, and one thing that I've grown to realize is that criticism is an art form, and I embrace it. I embrace it for this show, right? And your book, like, emphasizes that. And, and I say that because, in particular, because of the Lauren Hill chapter, right? In the Lauren Hill chapter, I thought of how, you know, how when you're younger, right, you get a lot of books assigned to you, and they're a lot of times by white authors, right? But then you you might revisit them as you're older, and you realize, oh, there's a whole bunch of fucked up shit embedded in here, right? Mm-hmm. And what happens is when you're young and you first reading books, you probably just happy that you're reading a book and that was just easy to read and it was an interesting story and all that right and i think the same effect happens with hip-hop where yo these words are, are coming with a good beat so i don't even really care i'm just gonna sing along i ain't really interrogating the words i'm mm-hmm. just glad this song is on and it makes me feel good and, and we just gonna go to, we're just gonna go with that and what i just like the rereading of hip-hop that you do in your work right and and I wanted you to talk to us about, I guess, unlearning some of the messages that hip hop taught you and just rereading the genre. And um, just just what what was that journey and that decision like for you? Hmm. See, it's not I love that a kid was talking about like the, the levels to wokeness. I hate the term woke. Oh, white people killed that for me. They right? did. They came and swooped right in like they always do. I tell you. <laughs> Uh, um, I guess we can just say like a, a journey to your awareness, awareness, <laughs> right? So, which is really just unpacking the, the depths of white supremacy that we've internalized by existing in this world, right? So, during this process, to answer your question, like what was that journey like? It's, it took a long time, like it happens little by little. But in terms of revisiting hip hop, you know how the old saying is like the more you know, when you know better, you do better, right? So when you start to evolve and grow, you start to hear things differently. And I mean, beyond the whole stages of, um, oh my gosh, they called us bitch in that song. I'm talking about revisiting like, damn, we missed the opportunity to talk about accountability when this song came up. Or damn, when you talked about the Lauren Hill chapter, like once my under like once I, ha- I had a lot to grow in terms of like my own sexual liberation and peeling back layers. So when that happens, I look at a lot of things different. You start revisiting past relationship mentally. I don't suggest always dip, dip, spit in the block with some exes, but I'm just talking about revisiting like the, the demise of certain relationships. And when you grow, you start to see things differently. And I think, and I know for me, that's true in real life, you know, whether it's hip hop or in life, I'm, I'm divorced. And I remember um, I, I wrote this piece. I very rarely write about my divorce. So it was a few years ago, right? And I was talking about um, like the first year when people say, well, what happened? Why'd you get divorced? I gave one answer. And then two years later, people were like, well, what happened? Why'd you get divorced? I gave another answer. And then like five years later, people were like, well, what happened? Why did you get divorced? I gave a different answer. I told the truth every time, but I just told the truth as I knew it, right? So the more that I learned about myself, the more I was able to say, like the answer started out, well, well he did A, B, C, and D. And then we just couldn't make it. So we Eventually, my answers became, well, we did A, B, C, and D, and our relationship couldn't stand that, right? So the more you learn about yourself, the more you start to view 
things differently. And the more I started to grow and evolve, the more I started to listen to some of these songs that I used to love differently. Like in terms of Lauryn Hill and that doo-wop chapter, she was a great reflection of college Shanita. Like that's who I was, that's who I like. It made sense to me to talk about showing off your ass because you're thinking it's a trend. Would you expect that man to call you back after you fucked? How dare you want respect? Like that's, that made sense to me back then. I was like, tell him Lauren, right? So the more I start to just write, I guess, girl. When actually when you get older, you're like, nah, bro, that's ridiculous to think that a man don't owe you respect. I don't give a fuck how early I slept, right? I, no, bro, it's ridiculous to talking about, you know, to, to shame this woman because, you know, she got her nails done by the Korean and she got this weed. That's, that's a, that's a, that black woman gets to express herself any way she wants to. Right. So this, and I had a very narrow standard of what black girl magic was. And for me during that time, it was very much Lauren. That doesn't reflect who I am now, but as I grow and as I change and as I peel back layers and evolve, I hear some things in music that I didn't necessarily hear before. And like I said, mm. it's not always as, oh my gosh, you calling this woman a bitch, right? Sometimes it's far more subtle that reveal different things about myself. Like, damn, we didn't talk about accountability. Or damn, we talking about the corners, but we're not talking about black girls' experiences on these corners, right? Oh, damn, yeah. we talking about motherhood, but we're not talking about A, B, C, and D, you know, and motherhood, so... Yeah, no, that's that's real. And, and you know, it's w one thing I want to add just while we are talking about the women in hip hop and lyrics. I want to talk to you again about a moment where I felt seen in your work. And it was when you're having your conversation with your friend about WAP. The reason why I felt seen is because I also had a conversation with a female friend, too. About mm -hmm. WAP, and I was Shanita in my conversation. Oh, get out! <laughs> Yo, I was Shanita in my conversation. It was a really dope convo, and like, and 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 shout out to to my friend. I'll leave her a name, <laughs> but you know, it, I was you, and 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 she was your friend, right? So she because was Team I'm Jenny, like, and you was Team Shanita. Yeah, exactly. Yes, thank you, Team. She was Jenny. I was Shanita, and okay. it's just like I was just saying, like, hey, because 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 her point. Her point wasn't necessarily about like, I guess, the lyrics on their own, but mm -hmm. she had issues with like the video as well, kind of like on some spiritual stuff. And I'm not the most spiritual people. I was just like, yo, look, they they video, they they doing whatever the hell they doing. I don't, I don't really look too much into the imagery. I'm just here for the song and I'm here for the fact that the video exists. I kind of wish it wasn't like a pandemic for many reasons, but I also wish it wasn't a mm -hmm. pandemic because if this song was out, and the it world was, was just like quote unquote normal. That shit would have went crazy. It would have went way crazier than what it did when we was all in the house. And um, I just, I just like how I thought of this because during your response to the Lauren Hill question, you talked about sexual liberation, and I think it's, I think it's dope that in your book we get to see you grow as you know more, right? Yeah. Because of the way you sequence, because this Ride or Die is essentially a seven track album, right? And and we see you grow over the course of the seven tracks. And I think that's really fly how you mm -hmm. uh, how you structured it. Oh, right. thank you. You were you guys are like readers, readers, because y'all catching it all. So I appreciate that. Oh, no doubt. No we'll doubt. Try. That's we'll uh I, I'm going to take Achilles, Achilles quote here. We got to show authors that we read their book. Yo, can I, they book, can I tell you how much I appreciate that? You're like, dude, I, I it's hard for me to turn off my journalist brain when I'm being interviewed. I try, but it's so hard. Like, because sometimes I'd be like, 
it's so telling to me when people don't read it. And I get it. I understand. You know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes you may not have had time, so you got to fluff it a little bit. But I don't know if folks realize how obvious it is. Like, let me give y'all a hit. You're doing wonderful. But I'm talking about, like, when somebody mm. hasn't read it, all of the questions stay from, like, chapter one. Nothing's ever going to do Yeah, yeah. I feel you, but let me give you the cheap code. If you don't have a lot of time, bet, read chapter one and read the end and read the last chapter and read something <laughs> in the middle. Go for three chapters, mm-hmm. okay? Something. Go for three. <laughs> Go for three. So I yep. think it is yeah. it's refreshing and it's a minus, it's such a it's a better conversation when you guys read the book. And this is not just me saying because I want you to pat me on my back. It's because you guys are smart readers, you're thinkers, and I want to hear, you know, what you took from it too. So it can be a better dialogue. So thank you guys for that. Uh, no, no problem. It's 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 I a pleasure, it. truly. And um now We've we've made it to the closing questions, although this could easily be like a drink champs episode in length if if we really mm-hmm. wanted it to be. Um, the first one I have for you is for Jordan, Mommy, and Nana, this book only exists because of what you three have given me. And I was wondering if you could uh speak to, you know, Jordan, Mommy, and Nana, um, the individuals whom you dedicated Ride or Die to. Oh, can I speak? Uh, can I speak directly to them, or you want to know what they gave me specifically? Oh, you can speak directly to them. You can, you yeah. can, however you want to do it. Well, mm-hmm. as you guys know, uh, my, I lost my nanny like a week after the book came out. So she was here, you know, when the book was out, and as somebody pointed out to me, like you know, she's immortalized. She's gonna live forever now. So I'm thankful for. My, my grandmother taught me to just tell the truth and say what it is. Like there's an expression at her funeral. We was all repeating it because her favorite phrase when she lived by this, say what you mean and mean what you say. Like nannies for a black woman born in 1937 to just stand authentically in who she is and not be afraid to just speak the truth. I That shaped, that's the core of who I am. Like that's shaped who I am. That's why I can write this book and stand 10 toes down. So I'm so thankful to you, Nanny. To my mother who taught me to, you know, like sky is the limit and then some, like my mom was not playing with that, just go jumping, I got you. And this book is just me jumping and just, you know, knowing that, you know, God got me, my readers got me, it's gonna turn out good. But it's only because my mom gave me that. And Jordan, this girl, like when I didn't have it, even from, from the moment I was pregnant with her, you know, I was in a really, you know, not so great, I'm divorced. So obviously the marriage wasn't so great, but with, the moment I was pregnant with her, I got pregnant with her and she helped me to, that was the catalyst for me making that decision. Not like I'm pregnant, I'm out, but I had to make some tough decisions because I wanted a life for her that I couldn't get within that marriage. So even when I didn't have it in me to build a better life for myself, I always wanted to build a better life for her even before she was born. So I've always pushed because of her, right? I always know that I can leap because of my mother and I can say anything, you know, stand 10 toes down because of my grandmother. So thank you to those three. Uh, no, yeah, no, that is uh that is fire. I love asking about the dedication. I, I you know, me personally, I never when I as I as I hear author interviews, I don't hear people ask about like the epigraph or the dedication. So I just make sure to do it because it's like, hey, they're in there for a reason. Might as well ask why they put them there. Y'all are um, very good at what you do. Oh no, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saying that truly. Um this is interesting because I'm wondering how much actually went into this because I could easily see this this whole book kind of being 
and, and this I'll mean this in a disrespectful way, but I could see this book being <laughs> off the top of the dome. Right. But I have to ask it because it's our one of our closing questions. Uh, favorite thing you researched that ended up being included in Ride or Die? Ooh. Hmm. Give me a second. That's a damn y'all look good. I really want to think because I want to know because I want to. Yeah. No. And the reason the reason why I was saying like my disclaimer before asking is because like like as I think of the content, right, like this is just you, you know, like uh, like as I read the book and now I'm talking to you like. It's just you on the page. Like you are an academic. You are a hip hop fan. You are a black woman. Like you've 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 lived a life, right? And I just feel like that's all reflected in the work. So, and that's why I'm not saying I, I do not mean this as an insult when I put that disclaimer there, but it's like I could easily see this book being like kind of like off the top. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just oh, structured. I could just like you know push it off the top of my head. It wasn't. That's a great. That's a compliment. Though. I'm not offended by that. Um, but the best thing I researched. Can I? I'm, I'm just. I'm gonna say hip hop in general because it was so fun to go back and revisit those songs and just, for example, the book, the book, the the chapter on the corner. That wasn't just me going back and listening to the storm. I went back and listened to the and watched the video. You know, as a whole grown woman raising a black child myself. Right. So that was interesting to revisit and dig back in the crates and like looking at these videos and stuff from a different perspective like and for the corners i remember because i wanted to because i was making a point in that book about the power of visualization in art and how when we see in hip-hop one of the things that's incredibly powerful is that i would i was doing some research on all the different um hip-hop videos that show the corners and, and different forms of violence and a lot of times what you will see you're almost, it's very rare to see a video on hip hop talking about the corners and the cops aren't there in some capacity, right? Because that's a very real thing. So even if you didn't grow up, like you said, um, in the inner city or you didn't grow up, but there was corners, you know for sure that the um, the police be rolling by and snatching people off, right? And those visualizations keep people deeply empathetic who may not see that in their real life. So it was really fun. And I really enjoyed revisiting hip hop Um from from this age, from this season in my life, like going through the old videos, rummaging through the old lyrics, like reading them out. Cause I was like, damn, that's what they said for real. So that was probably like my favorite thing to research about. And an author or a book that you wish was read and or read, discussed and or taught more. Joe Morgan with Chicken Heads Come Home to Roost. Like that's classic. I wish it was taught more. I, I know it's read a lot, but I feel like that should be a staple in, in college campuses and just syllabuses, or just syllabus across America. Yeah, yeah. no, it's so interesting because I got some, I got some friends that have read that with their like what respective twenty twenty two eyes. Mm. It's interesting seeing their perspective on it versus like maybe what their perspective would have been in 99 and i know it because i actually have like the the a, a new copy of it came out in maybe 2017 or 2018 it has an intro from britney cooper mm -hmm. and then there's also interviews in the back and, mm -hmm. and i kind of cheated and looked at the back to see what joe morgan was saying and joe morgan was saying you know basically she learned more about like gender and sexuality from 1999 to what she knew mm -hmm. like in 2017 she said that's probably the only thing that she would like add in the book is just what I know now about just gender, yeah. sexuality and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, but other than that, she says, you know, at the time, that's who I was. And that's, that's what I wrote. And I stand on it. And mm -hmm. I, I thought it was so fly. 
Mm. And um, so filling filling the good. blanks. It's gonna be good. After reading blank, I was changed forever because blank. Ooh, okay. After reading when chicken heads come home to rules, I was changed forever. After I read her chapter about chicken head envy, right? Mm -hmm. That split me open and forced me to be honest with myself. And then that also gave me a goal later on in life as my as an author. I want to be able to do the same. I want my words to have that type of power to like split people open and really make them look at their lives. So yeah, mm -hmm. when I after reading Chicken Heads, I became forever changed. <laughs> <laughs> You're the first cool. person that question was ever asked to, and mm. that answer shows that that will be coming back. So thank you for that. That's a good question. All right. Tell us who you would like to see as a guest on Books of Pop Culture. But if you are connected with this person, then you must disclose your connection uh, so we can be connected as well. Ooh, um, Yvette Dion. She has a, a book coming out. Well, she has a book out now. It's, it's called Waitlist. Okay. Yeah. I, see I think it. I, I might have seen it. Make a space for my resilient body and soul. Uh -huh. Yeah. Please, Dobie, yeah. I do have a connection with her. We, I, we started out just following each other on Twitter, mutual respect for each other's work. And yeah. also, Alex L., How We Heal. We actually booked oh. twins. A book yeah. came ah. out um, the same day or whatever. And we keep talking about we wanted to do something together. But, you know, my life, life started life in, and life is life for her, too. So her mm -hmm. book is dope, How We Heal. So I want to see yeah. too on the show. Well, uh, Nice. And uh, the easiest question of them all. Um, tell us what you are able to share about what's next for you and the best place people can go to follow your journey and your work. What's next for me? I'm um, I want to I want a film deal, a book or TV. I mean, a movie deal or something like I, that's what I want. I'm putting it out there in the atmosphere. So, I got yeah, my, yeah. Working on that to make that happen for me. So, but you can also follow me on Twitter before it explodes. I'm at, you know, Miss Nita Renee or um, Instagram, <laughs> Professor <laughs> underscore Nita. Nice, nice. Yeah, y'all make sure to follow her. All that will be in the show notes, everything she just said on Twitter um, and her IG. And y'all also make sure to get Ride or Die because it don't matter who you are, you're going to relate to it, right? This book is for black women, but and it's two black women, but Yo, you're going to see yourself in there because I literally said, I literally told her I was her in the book. There's literally a scene where I was Shanita in the book. So get this book, read it, interrogate it and learn from it. Learn to be critical. Learn to, you know, just just look back at things and how they influence you and just learn with your new lens because you'll yes. be influenced differently. It's a beautiful read work. Folk. Yeah, read it with, read it with it's folk a good and book to read with. with people. Yeah, yes. exactly. If you got a pod, reach out to Shanita and talk to her so you can learn something from her. Yeah, slide yeah. her DMs. Yeah, because yeah. it's and, worthy. Yes, and get, thank you guys. Get, oh, no problem. And get that copy from bookshop.org/slash/shop/slash books of pop culture. That's also in the show notes. For Shanita Hubbard, Achilles Missouri, I'm Reggie Bailey. This has been another edition of Books of Pop Culture, and we will see y'all next time.